and welcome to Maths on the Move, the podcast from plus.maths.org. I'm Marianne Freiberger. Did you know that we don't know what 85% of the matter in the universe is made of? This mysterious 85% of stuff is known as dark matter. That's because it doesn't emit or reflect light or any other electromagnetic radiation. The only way we know that dark matter is actually there is because it exerts a gravitational pull on stars and galaxies. And it can also bend the path of light, something known as gravitational lensing. Even though we don't know what it's made of, we now have a new, more detailed map of dark matter as it sits in the universe, thanks to a collaboration of scientists who gather data using the Atacama Cosmology Telescope, which sits high up in the Chilean Andes. One of these scientists is Blake Shervin, Professor of Cosmology and Astrophysics in the Department of Applied Mathematics and Theoretical Physics at the University of Cambridge. Blake is also a member of the Center for Theoretical Cosmology at Cambridge. In this podcast, my colleague Rachel Thomas asked Blake how you go about mapping something that is invisible and whether we will ever find out what dark matter actually is. Dark matter is a poorly understood substance that we can't see. It doesn't interact with light. Uh, and to some extent, we can't feel. So it just generally doesn't interact with the electromagnetic force. We can't see it. We can't feel it. But we know it's there because it gravitates. So the gravity from the dark matter uh, will, first of all, affect the orbits of normal stuff, other visible stuff. And it also will deflect light, which is what we make use of to, to map the dark matter. So you can't see the dark matter, but you know it's there because its gravity affects the behavior of other matter. And... Exactly. Yep. Right. Right. Uh, and I think this is a bit of a trick question, but what is dark matter? Right. As in, what is it? <laughs> yeah, so we don't know. Um, we don't know what it is. And there are several proposals. There's different theories for what it could be. I mean, most often people invoke a certain kind of particle with specific behaviors with, you know, that doesn't strongly interact for various particle physics reasons with the rest of the matter. But I mean, the short answer is we, we don't really know. We do, however, know about the properties of dark matter to some extent. So we have limits and we have some understanding of, you know, how it has to behave. Right. So we know that it, uh, you know, assuming it's a particle, we know that particle can't be moving very fast. So it has to be uh, just floating around quite slowly. This is known as cold dark matter. And we know it can't interact very strongly at all. And so we have all kinds of limits and we have some understanding for the properties of, it, of this dark matter, but we haven't exactly identified it to the point where you could say, oh, it's this particle. So that's an open question. So you and your collaborators have made this new, this particularly detailed map. Um, how did you go about creating a map of something that you can't see? Right. Uh, so that's a really good question. So how do you map something you can't see? Uh, and so it, the answer to that goes back to what I said earlier, which is that we know dark matter is there because of its gravity. And the effect that we're making use of is called gravitational lensing. And it's the fact that the gravity of this dark matter 
will deflect rays of light that pass by. So it doesn't emit light, it doesn't scatter light. So we can't see it in a normal sense, but it does bend the paths of light uh, as they pass by due to the gravity. And so that effect is known as gravitational lensing because a similar bending of light takes place in a magnifying glass or lens when light travels through it. And so actually you can understand a lot of the gravitational lensing effect by just looking at this analogy with a magnifying glass. So uh, what a magnifying glass looks like because it bends the light is it looks it, it sort of enlarges the image behind it right and the same thing takes place due to gravitate when, when when dark matter produces gravitational lensing so if i look in if i look out into the sky and there's a big blob of dark matter in a certain direction i will know that's there because the lensing enlarges any, the image of anything that lies behind this dark matter. So basically that's how we can map the dark matter. We just look for magnification of distant objects or just distant radiation or distant images. So do you know, do you have data from something else or other observations that you know what that distant matter should look like and then... Yeah, exactly. So, base, um, so they're different, you can use different kinds of images or light to study gravitational lensing with. And in our work, we're using uh, an image we understand very well, which is an image of the cosmic microwave background. Um, and that's a really interesting source of light in its own right. It's literally the afterglow of the hot Big Bang. Um, but for, the, for our purposes, it's just sort of a backlight whose properties we understand. So we know what this image should look like, and because we understand it so well, we can tell when that image has been distorted by lensing. We know when it's been magnified. And so just by looking at this CMB, cosmic microwave background um, backlight, and just looking for the magnification features, we can say, oh, there's dark matter here, and dark matter there, and dark matter there. And how were you able to create um, a much more detailed map using the CMB? Uh, right. So I think a lot of the credit there goes to the fantastic sort of experimentalists in our team who built the Atacama Cosmology Telescope, um, which is a particularly powerful CMB telescope, Cosmic Microwave Background Telescope, that's able to make images that are sharper, that sort of have higher resolution, and are less noisy than, you know, many of the previous data sets. So effectively, we just have a sharper cleaner image, and that allows us to make better lensing measurements. But of course, there's also um, been great progress on, you know, developing the sort of theory and the methods uh, in how to extract these subtle, tiny magnification features from a complicated data set. So that's something that, you know, my group members and my collaborators and the ACT lensing team and, and the ACT collaboration more generally uh, have been working on. So it's a combination of better data and you know, more sophisticated sort of mathematical and statistical tools. So do you have to use some kind of maths and stats tools in order to kind of process the image? So you have this really detailed data from the telescope, but then you need to run some kind of um, processes on it to, to then extract out what the dark matter looks like. Exactly. So what you're doing in a sort of hand-wavy way is you're looking for these magnification features. But... Obviously, you want to do this in a lot more detail, and it gets quite complicated. So 
you need to be able to take an image, a picture, and analyze the statistics in each direction and say, oh, what is the chance that this feature is just due to the background versus is the real magnification of this background? And so there's some complicated, sort of quite interesting uh, mathematics and statistics that goes into sort of separating out what's a background and sort of what is a real, uh, a real magnification due to dark matter. And that's where a lot of the interesting uh, physics and mathematics happens. One of the things that I heard about your result is that it, it uh, agrees with very closely with the predictions for what dark right, matter should yeah. look like, and that that's based on Einstein's general theory of yep. relativity. So, had we not seen such good agreement before, or had we not seen such detailed? Um, well, there have actually been several claims that something might be going a bit wrong. So that's I think part of the reason this is a particularly interesting measurement. I mean, it's interesting anyway, but become even more motivated to make these sorts of measurements. Um, and so basically several kind of other ways of measuring lensing, so several sort of measurements that didn't make use of the cosmic microwave background, but instead made, made use of light from galaxies, had made dark matter maps of their own. And what they had found is that that dark matter map is less clumpy than you would expect. Um, and you know that has attracted a lot of interest. It's a very intriguing observation. It's not just one experiment that finds this. It's several independent measurements of the dark matter distribution from galaxies. And so, yeah, this was very intriguing, and we wanted to follow this up with an entirely different technique, right? Because the, the question really is: Is this was this disagreement of prediction versus measurement of how clumpy the dark matter was? you know, due to a statistical fluctuation or due to problems with the measurements, or is it a first sign of new physics that, you know, our standard theory for cosmology was starting to break? Now, you know, I don't think we can, with our map, provide a definitive answer, but we can at least rule out several possibilities. And, and if there is new physics, we can really say where it has to, where it could be taking place and where the model could be breaking. So, so yeah, from our perspective, everything agrees perfectly with theory. And so we know that on large scales and at sort of large distances, everything works. Our theory works. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily on really small scales and at very late times that there's some, there might be some room for sort of new exotic physics to evade our constraints, but it has to hide in those regimes. And, um, and is this the thing... Is that the thing that's the crisis in cosmology people talk about? Is that the disagreement between that had been between some measurements of what dark matter, the clumpiness of dark matter, and what was predicted? Yeah. Um, so, yes, that is certainly one part of what people would call the crisis in cosmology. And I think that's the most pressing one. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what's going on there. There is also an entirely different problem, <laughs> which is again, comparing your sort of theory prediction with measurements, but that's not the clumpiness of the dark matter. Um, that's the expansion rate of the universe. I, I personally think that the, you know, I think the, the clumpiness problem is a more interesting one, but that's my own sort of theoretical bias. <laughs>
this was done um, through uh, observations from the Atacama Cosmology yep. Telescope. Right. And that's that's now wrapped up, hasn't it? Yes. So just, you know, uh, 2022, I believe, the last observations were taken. And we're now switching over to a new... In terms of the experiment, we're switching over to a new telescope called the Simons Observatory that's sort of going to be deploying this year and next year. Um, but ACT has amazing data, and we're only just sort of working on analyzing all the great data that it's taken. And so, you know, there's, this isn't the last result from ACT at all. We have uh, lots and lots of new, you know, anal analysis and papers uh, to, to come. So there's a lot of data. So these telescopes gather so much data you have like a backlog of stuff to analyze yeah, and new yeah. ways of looking at it. Definitely. I mean, it, it's these data volumes are enormous and a lot of these analyses are extremely complicated and sophisticated and, you know, they're getting really precise. I mean, we're dealing with, for our measurements, a couple of percent precision, but for some, you know, it's even more than that. So, you know, this is really precision cosmology and to make sure you get it right, it can take a couple of years. So what um, are you excited about in terms of, uh, where your research might lead is it new observations from the from the new telescope is it new analysis of uh yeah so i think um there are several things that i think are exciting that are nice follow-ups so you know as i mentioned i think as you were saying also our results if you take them very seriously suggest there are only certain times and certain scales where the new physics could be hiding that explains this discrepancy. And so I think we'd like to really just chase those down and see if we can narrow, you know, focus more on those regimes to either confirm or disagree with these other measurements. So, but obviously generally, I think there's many other interesting things we can do with this. We can, for example, use the, just use the appearance of this dark matter map to learn about interesting new physics. For example, we can learn about the physics of neutrinos. You know, what is their mass? How much do they weigh? What are their properties? Because those affect the dark matter distribution. Um, we can use this, and we can even use this dark matter map to learn about the properties of the very, very early universe. So that's another interesting avenue. And then as you say, we just can make better measurements. I mean, this is, uh, we're only just ramping up. We'll have the final act release and hopefully the near future, and then we're switching over to Simon's Observatory, and so we're going to be really imaging um, the distribution of mass in our universe at really high, you know, an exquisite precision, and we'll be able to precisely track how sort of structure grows and forms in the universe. So um, where is the Simon's Observatory going to be based? Yeah, so it's actually right right next to ACT. Oh. So it's the same, basically the same site in the Atacama Desert in Chile, very high up in the mountains. And have you been there? I actually have not been there, no. That's sort of sad. Um, hopefully I'll get to go to see Simon's Observatory at some point. I would probably just break things. So, <laughs> so do you think we will know either how to resolve this crisis in cosmology of the, how lumpy dark matter is, or appears to be, and do you think we will know ever the answer to what dark matter is made of? Yeah, I think the former, I think we will sort out very soon. I think in the next decade, we just, with Simon's Observatory, but also with other galaxy lensing measurements, we're going to have so much more data. 
So if there's anything wrong, we will know. I mean, and it won't just be hints anymore. I think I think that will be sorted out in the next decade for sure. Um, and other things like the expansion rate, I think that's true as well. Uh, in terms of knowing exactly what dark matter is, what kind of particle it is, I'm not sure. Um, I, I think, I mean, I'm sort of optimistic. I kind of hope that we'll get lucky uh, with some of the direct detection experiments that are currently operating, but we don't know. So it sure. sounds like a very exciting time to be a cosmologist. If, if new data is coming in, that might resolve some of, some of the big questions. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, I think... That's one of the exciting reasons. The reason it's exciting is, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of data. And um, if something is breaking, and I hope it does in some sense, right, um, then we will know. That's my favorite thing about talking to you and your colleagues is it's not, it's not, oh, I'm really happy with our theory is proving to be accurate. It's I'm quite excited if my theory breaks at a certain point. Yeah, definitely. I mean... Both, both outcomes are interesting. I mean, I think uh, probably the most interesting outcome personally would indeed be that everything is broken and, you know, there's some new stuff to understand that we don't get. But there's also something really elegant about the fact that, you know, oh, we have this extremely simple model of the universe that, you know, starting from the CMB at a few hundred thousand years after the Big Bang, you're able to predict how all the dark matter blobs grow and how galaxies form over billions and billions of years. And then you can predict how the light gets deflected by these blobs. And you can predict how this imprints itself in the image. That, and you can look at it and it works to like one or two percent. That's also kind of amazing, right? So I think they're, we want it to break, but it's also pretty cool when things work out so well. There's a lot of teamwork that goes into these sort of things, right? So, I mean, first of all, the whole act, experimental effort, you know, that was an amazing achievement. And then all the other colleagues on the analysis side did great work. And obviously, in particular, you know, I should highlight collaboration with um, other people working on lensing. My colleague, Matt Medovich, Charlotte Penn, who did amazing work. And then uh, I definitely want to highlight my group members, who I think really did, in particular, my student, Frank Q, who did a lot of the heavy lifting on this analysis, and uh, Neil McCrem and uh, Dongwon Han, who did really crucial work. So yeah, it was really like a huge, I mean, these are really big projects and require, you know, expertise from, from a large number of people. And I think junior people and students here actually uh, and did, did a lot of key, really crucial work. So yeah. Must be pretty exciting for people like Frank Q to, for PhD students to be working on, yeah, such amazing data and such amazing projects. Yeah, I think I think I think now it's really exciting. I think with these very big projects, sometimes it's you have to really have a lot of sort of persistence, right? Because you know, some projects you can as a student you can finish in a half a year, a year, a few months even, right? But I mean these major data analysis efforts it really requires several years of you know, figuring out all the problems and the data, solving them, and it, it, it's a really long-term effort that requires a lot of persistence. So I think I think now it's paid off, but it was it was it was very challenging. It's been a journey. It's been a journey, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, everyone did great great work, and it's really nice to see it out now.
That was Blake Sherwin talking to my colleague Rachel Thomas about his work with his colleagues on mapping dark matter in the universe. You can find out more about dark matter by visiting plus.mats.org and searching for dark matter. Blake also spoke about cosmic microwave background radiation, or CMB, which was used to study the dark matter. You can find out more about this fascinating baby picture of the universe by searching for CMB at plus.maths.org. The music from this podcast is from USA and the track is called Plankton. You can find their music at soundcloud.com slash EUSA. Thanks for listening and bye for now.